Welcome to the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Trish. And this is our podcast. We talk about wrestling news and various topics from different promotions, primarily AEW, but also New Japan Pro Wrestling, WWE, and topics from around the wrestling world, whatever we find interesting, and we hope you do too. Today is the January 7th, I almost said December 7th, January 7th, 2024. It is our first podcast of the new year, and we are at our new home because uh, the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast has now joined the Social Suplex Podcast Network, and we are super pleased and excited about this. Um, it is awesome. Uh, our sister podcast, Tunnel Talk, is also a part of the network now, and we are just really excited about the opportunities of this. If you currently listen to us, if you subscribe, stay where you're at. Nothing's really going to change. We're going to have some opportunities to reach some new listeners, and we're just very excited about the whole thing. It's a good way to start our new year. We are going to post some links in our Twitter after we release this podcast uh, to the Social Suplex Discord, where you can join in topics and uh, talk about the podcast as you'd like. <laughs> All right. So kicking off 2024, we had quite a few things happen while uh, Trish and I were on a break. Uh, the first thing was the World's End pay-per-view, which was uh, December 30th, so last Saturday night. And it was a, um, it was a show. <laughs> <laughs> it was a show. It occurred as I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, we did have the uh, final of the uh, Continental Classic, which was John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston in a spectacular match. Extremely, extremely good. Super emotional. Super fantastic. Eddie Kingston beating John Moxley to win the Triple Crown. Uh, we had the end of the MJF year-plus-long reign as champion as he was beaten by Samoa Joe, and the reveal of the super-secret devil storyline, which was that it was Adam Cole all along, um, complete with unmasking and holding up the mask Scooby-Doo style, uh, which I thought was quite <laughs> enjoyable. So I think he's um, more scrappy than Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's so terrible. <laughs> that's so true. It's so... Oh. We are, <laughs> like... I've been a whole year of being nice to Adam Cole now, right? Oh, it, it's, it's you done. have. You've been a while. You've been nice to Adam Cole for a while. Oh boy. Um, the World's End pay per view was the first pay per view without any of the elite on it. Obviously, Kenny Omega uh, was diagnosed and uh, came down with diverticulitis in December. Get well soon, Kenny. Uh, we hope you're feeling better and you're back to work as soon as you feel able. Um, but he was very much missed as the tag team with Chris Jericho was abandoned. Chris Jericho teaming up for a multi man with Sammy and Sting and Darby Allen. We also had Andrade's last match in AEW as he lost to Miro and then headed off into the sunset um, with his contract ending on December 31st. Um, we had Christian versus Edge. Um, we had Swerve in a last-minute match versus Dustin Rhodes. Um, Trish, my overall thought on this was that there were a number of times during this pay-per-view where I expected Excalibur to tell me that we were going to picture-in-picture. Picture. Um, so I... <laughs> I don't think that bodes well in terms of my expectations of it. It just, a lot of good wrestlers giving their best efforts, but boy, that was a boring pay-per-view. I wouldn't even call it like a dynamite. It was, some of it was like a rampage. Um, look, yeah, so, hmm, I think when we knew going in, there wasn't a high level of expectation from our side. No. Looking at the match lineup, and it really didn't depend on how invested you were in this kind of this devil payoff. And you know, for our perspective, I think we were much more and more invested in kind of Eddie and Moxley. Yes, 
than we were in that. But then when you look down the rest of the card, there was a distinct lack of quality. And when I think of this past year of pay-per-views, it's kind of the same for five acts that have kind of saved it in terms of a quality perspective. So if you look at Revolution, you had the trios with House of Black and the Elite. You had Paige and Moxley, and then you had Danielson with MJF. Yep. Double or Nothing, it was the main event that really saved that show, because this was quite a similar show to Double or Nothing, where it was quite poor until we got to the last few matches. I think that's probably its comparable. Yep. And then Forbidden Door, you had the 10-man tag. You can see which names are coming up quite a lot here. With the BCC <laughs> and the Elite, and then you had Omega and Osprey. All In was kind of a fluid show all the way through. I don't think there was any standout matches in there, but you could probably argue, I don't know. FTR Bucks, maybe strongest, Osprey and Jericho, I don't know. Um, but then you had All Out, which was Danielson of Starks, Omega and uh, Takeshita, and then the Bucks and the Eight Man. And then Wrestle Dream, Paige and Swerve backing up Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. And then Full Gear, where Swerve and Hangman were the, the kind of dragged that pay-per-view out, out of the mire as well. So... You can see where the key guys are, and it is mainly, you know, this year been the guys that have kind of elevated these pay-per-views to a high level. And when you take some of them out, or you put Danielson in an eight-man, and you really have just had kind of John Moxley left, and that left kind of a very much a void, especially in the middle. Oh yeah. my god, the middle of that show was just oh, boy. dire, absolutely dire. Oof. I. I understood the decision to do the eight-man tag, and I thought the story mm -hmm. that they told with uh, Daniel Garcia was fantastic. Like, I enjoyed that story all through the Continental Classic. I enjoyed the way they sort of ended it at the at, at that match. But at the same time, you took, like, your eight best workers, or eight yeah. of your best workers, and there was, like, nobody else, right? And, you know, obviously, understandable, they didn't have Orange Cassidy. He's been in a bunch of their last pay-per-views. You know, they gave I an opportunity to somebody else. But I don't agree. I don't understand why he wasn't on that pay-per-view. He beats John Moxley and then he's not on the next pay-per-view? Like, well, what? what is that for momentum? Like, the overall I booking don't understand of Orange, that. We've been complaining about the overall booking of Orange Cassidy since All Out. Like, it doesn't sure. make any sense. He's still hanging out with Dan Housen and Hook. He's still mm -hmm. doing, like, you know, again, we, we're back to the same mid-card cha challenges that we were having before he beat John Moxley, before he was beaten by John Moxley. There's mm -hmm. no... We had a character storyline progression and then it kind of dissipated away. Right. And I think that's one of those things that I was sort of disappointed about, like from this Wednesday's dynamite, it was like, okay, you know, we had the pay-per-view, it's over, the belt's off MJF, like where are we going from here? And it didn't instill me with a lot of excitement or enthusiasm, I guess would be the best way to describe it. I was kind of like, okay, like it was a good dynamite, but it wasn't like the refresh that I think I had been hoping for. I think I very much agree with that. So I was left with more kind of concerns than I was with kind of hope. And I think that was the opposite of what they were intending. But when I looked at it, when you look at the very top of the card, so right. you had Samoa Joe win the title and then be out of the way in 60 seconds. Yep. Which I hate. I hate it. It's like you have a new champion. You know, the only one I can actually understand it on is doing it with the uh, the Kenny Omega thing where you do the big shock finish and it's, but it's about the title, right? So he stole on that belt and next he's going to be on Impact Wrestling. And then right. people talked about that for a week. And then they came back the next week because the next week rating was even more of a high rating than the week of winner is coming. Right. And that's when you know you've hit gold, because if your next rating is huge, then you've carried that interest over, which is exactly what they did with that Omega thing. So I can understand in that case. In this case, it was very much, he's won the belt, he has to be out of the way, because we have this bigger story, 
with a guy who cannot be the lead heel and does not have the belt. That just does not make an ounce of sense to me. And it just it's another one of them things where, you know, I know it's a regular complaint that people don't like, but it feels like we've devalued that championship down. And this felt like a continuation of that. Well, it was In fascinating order. because when you think about the dynamite, the go-home dynamite, right, the the belt in Samoa Joe was done away with quickly so we could have another devil angle, right? And then you had the actual World's End pay-per-view and the belt and Samoa Joe were done away with quickly so we could have another devil angle, right? Which is fine. You know, I disagree with the idea that you had to go with this. I didn't think that like in retrospect, this devil thing, if you weren't going to have these two guys able to fight with each other pretty quickly after it ended, then I don't know why you did it in the first place, but whatever, the decision was made. They've got to, something's got to happen. So it happened, I guess, would be the best, yeah. <laughs> to borrow a phrase from a friend. Um, <clears throat> so they did it and whatever, and it's fine. And like, I guess, like to some degree, I understand why you had to have Adam Cole come out on Wednesday and give kind of an explanation to a degree of what was going on. But at the same time, like I'm back again to the question that I continue to ask over and over again, which is why are you kicking off the show? Why are you framing the show? Why are you building the show around a guy that your guys beat? Right? You went head to head against this guy and your guys beat him, right? The Adam Cole black and gold NXT era was soundly and effectively defeated by AEW. And I say that as somebody who really likes Adam Cole. He seems like a really nice guy. I think he's he's like I thought I thought he did a great job at the beginning of the MJF feud. Like, I'm happy to see him be a little shitty heel again. Like, you know, go for it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, this is the horse you're you're putting your money on this this horse. Like, you beat this horse. <laughs> It looks so funny, you know, when on uh, Wednesday when he comes out on his crutches Ugh. and you're like, this is supposed to be the killer heel, the main boss. And they're trying to move him sideways, like a segue sideways. So it's like an equivalent to like, oh, he's the main boss here, but Joe's the champion. It was kind of a move in that promo to do that. But at the same time, I'm looking at this little hobbling man coming down and I'm like, we're supposed to believe in this is the guy that everybody needs to get to, to defeat. This is the faction. I can, I think... I just think they should have pivoted. I know it was the plan all along. I know it makes logical sense that it's coal. It makes it, it made sense it was coal. Yeah, but you didn't do it all in, which is probably when you needed to do it. And you wanted a big angle to close that show, maybe would have given you the momentum coming out of it that you thought you were going to get that Tony talked about at the time. And they didn't do it. No. And maybe they could have got it to kind of Grand Slam. Maybe. That would have been, you know, probably a great location to do it. But you didn't. And now we're doing this where we now have a guy that cannot wrestle who is now replicating another angle on the show with Wardlow already with the Christian, you know, Luchasaurus thing, but then also can't be the guy that people chase. But then they didn't incorporate Cole, uh, uh, Samoa Joe into the group either. So he's now separate from that. So they've taken like Hank, tried to take Hangman out of the Cole part of the story. So who is chasing Cole? Like, what is the deal there? It, that's where it lost its momentum. If he, they were going to do this and he was going to be the devil, realistically, he needed to be the guy with the belt and he needed to be the guy that everybody was chasing. As soon as you just, lower that, you lose that momentum. It doesn't make any sense. And then you had like Roddy Cole or, or Cole saying that Roderick Strong was going to go after the international title and then and nothing was said about it later on the show. Orange Cassidy defended the title. There was, the, 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 there was a post-match angle, but it was about private party. Nothing came up, even though you had Roderick Strong and the Kingdom both last night on Collision, but nothing came out about this again. Like, And the Kingdom are just sort of randomly beating people on Collision, like, which is great. Like, I'm glad to see like, some tag team wrestling, which we'll get into that in a little bit, but like, it just, 
I don't know. It just seems like a weird, like these guys should have gone away for a while. Like if you, I get that you did this, but like, you're going to have Adam Cole lead this faction. You're going to have Adam Cole, like supposedly be a big bad guy, but he's on crutches. Like you said, he cannot wrestle. So it's essentially you're, you know, and you're stealing storylines from that are being done better on your same show. I think it could work if if you had strong enough backup players, maybe it could work. But I don't think anybody views strong Tovin and uh, Bennett as Brett. They just, they don't. They they don't view them on that same level. And Wardlow either. You know, nobody believes it. So you've now got a situation where you have the main guy who's now backed up by a group of uh, kind of lower mid-carders that no one really has any belief in. So in order to kind of overcome that in a similar way to maybe groups in the past they need to have that very strong first week they need to destroy you know main event talent they need to kind of come across in that way and i don't think they have and the the big thing about that as well is i think they got in their heads too much so we had all this thing about nobody wanted you know a match without a clean finish or they didn't want all the interference and all the kind of bullshit that we saw at full gear so instead of having you know them cost MJF the belt, they didn't. They didn't cost MJF the belt. Right. Joe won the belt clean. So then you lose that heat automatically at the start. You know, and Cole's you know going out there saying, oh, you know, it's not about the belt anymore. I wanted to destroy his life, but it was all about the belt like four months ago until MJF said it's not about the belt. It just they had to move because of the logistics, but it's kind of I think it's already kind of undermining it. And there's a very much of a, d- a danger that you can kind of end up, this not starts off, kind of in a more of a house of torture level mm. rather than this big, bad super group that everybody should be working to defeat. And I just don't see that. The one thing I would say that I thought was good, there was one that undermined it, was that Cole did change some things to actually make himself a heel. So, yeah, we, we talked about it last time. I really, really hate... The fact these days that, especially in AEW, you know, because of the way that things are and how you progress, there's this tendency to kind of use all the babyface tricks as a heel. And Adam Cole was a prime example of that. So when he came in, you know, he had the sing-along music, he's got the pose, he's got the story time catchphrase, yep. and all of them disappeared, just like that. And I thought that was good, because if you're going to be a heel, at least commit to actually being a heel. You don't want to be yeah. cheered. No. I want to see you get reactions, but I want to see you get booed, not just try and get yourself over at the expense of the babyface, because that's a real problem in AEW. And then I think Strong opened his mouth and he does the Adam thing, and I'm like, just cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> just cut that out. So, but I did like that change, but I also felt like his promo was being speed read. It was like, you know, you have a podcast and you like turn it up like, twi- like one and a half times. <laughs> that's what it felt like. I was just like, like, geez, breathe, you know, let the crowd come up, get the heat up. You know, like Don Callis is very, very good at that. He waits and he waits and he waits and to the point where, like, you can't hear yourself think. Christian Cage is very good at this as well. Yes. And I felt like just Cole just sped run through this stuff, like 100 mile an hour. And I was and like, yet it, just... it seemed to take a very long time. Yeah. Like, I, I was sitting there being like, oh, okay. Like, Samoa Joe, quick promo that seemed to take a long time. Like, it wasn't, it didn't, I was like, okay, okay, all right. Like, I don't, I get why they did what they did, but at the same time, I'm like, you couldn't have come out with like a, 
we just went through a whole continental classic that proved to you that the sports presentation stuff was working. That's what everybody wants. Like you couldn't start off with a quick, fast party match. Like we couldn't do something to like get back into that spirit. And instead we have like two very long promo segments that are like, you know, that to me, I was kind of like, this is one of some of the ratings. People are like, hey, I'm going to turn this off. Like, it, it, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite choice, I guess would be the way to s- describe it. It was, you know, they, they hampered themselves with that because they do this thing where, and they've done this previously with promos after pay-per-view, they want you to see that as the most important thing instead of putting it in first. But then obviously the, the crowd drops away because there's nothing, right. you know, with great momentum. Coming out of that pay-per-view, the only things with momentum was Kingston winning that belt or which now is just another mid-card belt, as we said it would be. <laughs> yep. And the devil stuff. And Joe, who wasn't there, which is a kind of a weird bit of positioning again that you don't have your new champion there that week, and he's already starting to feel a little bit transitional. But, you know, you, but it, you can... You're also in a situation where you've got, like, seven challengers lined up for Joe, right? You've got Swerve, you've got Hook, you've got Wardlow, you've got... Hangman, like what would, like what's going on here? Like where are we? Where like it? I think my hope for some clear directions out of this pay per view, or at least starting on Wednesday, were sort of dashed a little bit, and things, if anything, feel still a little bit murky. And I get maybe you have a bunch of players that are missing. You have people that are in Tokyo, like you know, um, you have people that are out sick. You have people that are getting bad reactions from the crowds that they don't want, like, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But (laughs) like, (laughs) but it it just seemed like, I don't know. I like, I was sort of like, okay, I'm ready for like, they've done it. They've changed it. I sat through this pay-per-view. What new stuff's going to happen? And nothing new really happened. It's it's an interesting one because Tony spent a lot of time talking about sports style presentation. And I think what we've seen is they're going to continue kind of the before and after interview things. Yep, so which is awesome. Much, yeah, so very much the kind of New Japan style uh, way of communicating with your audience. And the fact that they're going to put people together, you know, less, maybe not on collision. We did, we saw quite a few squashes on collision. But um, they're going to do less of the kind of squashes and more of the kind of competitive matchups between names. So like Darby and Tequestra or this week, I think we've got, uh, obviously, Hangman and Claudio coming up on Wednesday night. So Even Swerve kind of versus match- Daniel Garcia, like two like, yeah. hot up and coming guys, like let's have a match, let's like have a finish, right? Like they've had clean finishes in these matches, which I've sure. appreciated. I didn't like that match just because you give Garcia some momentum and then you beat him. And I do think they are beating their baby faces far too much. So here's my question for you. Can you name the top five baby faces in AW right now? <laughs> All right, Mr. Meltzer. In- no, yeah. <laughs> well... No, who are not injured or vacant, uh, uh, vacated. Yeah, All right, so yeah. Eddie, Orange okay. Cassidy. Yeah. Hangman, question mark? He's, Tweener, I'm always going to yeah. put, put him as, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, probably that's about it. I don't know, like, again, <laughs> the, the BCC. It's real difficult, doesn't it? The BCC alignment changes so much that I don't know that you could argue that those guys are baby faces nope. at this moment. But this goes back to another thing that you and I have talked about many, many, many weeks ago that Dave Meltzer brought up this week where I was like, yeah, he listens to our podcast, obviously, <laughs> which is like, and same thing happened on Collision last night. Yet again, we have a, a program starting or some kind of a match starting and it's being kicked off by the heel. Right. Because it, it, Claudio versus Hangman, oh. at this point, I'm still going to say Claudio is the heel on this one, but it's kicked yes, off by yeah. a Claudio promo. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, again, the agency in all of these feuds comes from the heels. The heels start everything. The baby faces just sit back and hang out. Like, they're reactive only and not proactive. And I think that's a giant, giant chunk of the problem. Like, like what do these guys want? What are they trying to do? And I think it, for a while now, it, we don't know. Like, what does Orange Cassidy want? We have no idea. Like, there was a period of time where I would have told you I had an idea. Eddie Kingston wanted to win the Continental Classic. He's done that. Like, he went on a storyline journey. We Part of the reason why I think the Continental Classic was so good was because part of the reason why I think the, the ratings for Collision for women are rebounding a little bit is because Eddie Kingston had a storyline. We had a baby safe face to root for, right? We had a whole journey. But, like, now that's over, so what does Eddie want now, right? Like you know, your protagonists have to have something to do and your protagonists can't be the bad guys. Again, Wednesday night, we heard from Christian Cage, which was great. Like Christian's phenomenal. Like give that, like Mother Wayne alone was worth the cost of admission. But again, <laughs> it's being driven by the heel. Edge came, or excuse me, Copeland came out and talked on last night, but nobody know, saw didn't it. have a lot to say. No. I that's, don't know. That's, that's what, they're being lapped by WWE over this. You know, they yeah. are much more similar to kind of mid-2000s, uh, 2010s WWE. This was the problem they had. You had a guy like Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, yeah. you know, same thing. And then they beat him. You had Dolph Ziggler, he come through, and then they beat him. Brian Danielson, which is like, I don't know, half the time I can't decide if Adam Page is doing his best Brian Danielson impression or his best John, uh, Dean Ambrose impression. It's one <laughs> of the two. But, you know, they, they'd try and ignore and try and move his reactions onto somebody else and try and do everything else. And then, you know what? And I didn't worry, they just beat him. So, but there was this thing of constantly beating and beating and beating. It's that, it's that Alvarez thing, isn't it? And they beat yeah. him and they beat him and they beat him. <laughs> and they beat him and they beat him. How many? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can hold my breath to do it as long as he did. Um, <laughs> but it is that thing of we are constantly beating the baby faces. And then we're like, oh, why aren't we getting people into these buildings when it's the baby faces and investing in the babyface journey which is what gets people into the buildings that right. might not have as much effect on tv ratings although i think it does you know i think every time we've seen a huge chase we've seen tv ratings follow that but you are not going to do that on oh that heel is cool oh this person is cool they're not coming into the building for that so no. you have got to start giving some of these baby faces momentum you know we're going into a pay-per-view pay cycle where they, they kind of maybe think oh we can coast it you know we can rely on sting you know sting will generate that buy rate sting will generate that buy rate so and he's de generating the ticket sales in greensboro but, but we're not can... telling anybody where sting's gonna be appearing we're gonna no. do a whole fucking collision where sting had a match we didn't promote it or tell anybody about it until freaking thursday like like that's the part that blows my mind and like i don't really give a shit like this is where i don't want to get too worked up and berserk about it because at the same time like it's their business if they don't want to throw money sure. away I, I like what do i care like i like the show and i like these guys if tony wants to run at a loss go right ahead but like mm -hmm. if it, it, why are you not advertising for where sting is going to be and telling people what matches he's going to be on and i get and i appreciate that this is a 60 some odd year old man and maybe you're not necessarily going to be able to have him wrestle or there's going to be an injury or yada 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 but like jesus christ like this is kind of the kind of like layup business shit that I would think you'd be doing no problem. Like, hey, Sting's going to be on collision. We should probably start advertising that. Like two weeks out, three weeks out. Like, you know? You just have an appearance calendar. He doesn't need to wrestle every time. You just say, he's no. going to appear here. He can come out and say 10 words to the crowd. Some people will be happy. It's the last time we're going to see Sting. Great. There. It's not that difficult. And then you hamper all the other parts of your business. 
to that live event person, whoever that may be, and we, we maybe will transition into that in a bit, <laughs> but that live event person, whoever's going to replace Raphael Morphy, where do they know that they need to advertise? Where right. can they focus their local promotion on in terms of this is the last chance to see Sting? The problem is, and then this is constant with their booking. You never know who, we've been through this, you never know who's going to be on the shows. How does that help their you know, supporting kind of departments? How does it help the merch department when you can produce a farewell shirt, but you can't put the dates on the back like some sort of rock tour? Right. It's really, really simple stuff, but it's the most effective. And right now, right now, with the situation they have with their baby faces or no baby faces of kind of that they're putting any momentum behind, the biggest resource they have is Sting and they're not using that to sell tickets. And yeah, I just, it, it's, it's, insane. it's insane. It's actually it, insane. It, it makes no sense. It's one of those things where I'm just like, dude, like... I, like, again, always, always the possibility that there's shit going on that we don't know about that's impacting stuff like this. And I take that as a possibility and I'm not going to say that I'm yeah, all but knowing it's, it's and whatever. Been, it's been going on for so long. For so long. For so long. If you want to take Sting out, why was Hangman not on the show on Saturday? Charlotte, North Carolina holds all the attendance records there. You know, local well, to the area. Surely, you we know, had- you want to give him momentum as a baby. And I get the argument here. You know, I had an argument as well. I had a discussion with somebody who we tried to explain to me that, you know, they want to keep certain people on Dynamite or certain stories on Dynamite because Dynamite's their focus. You want to hold that rating up. You know, what Collision does is nowhere near as important in a way as keeping the momentum of that Dynamite rating. But you have to give these characters some momentum. It's a balance. And I don't think that balance is there right now. Unless you're a heel, of course. Then then you're fine. Or you're FTR. Or FTR. Well, you know, like, yeah. It was well. just, I don't know. I, this is where. <laughs> and this is the thing. So this is where you can look at the Max Rain if you want to judge the end of the Max Rain. And because I think the Max Rain has been really interesting because the first six months, it was kind of struggling. Yeah. You know, people won't talk about that, but the you know, pay-per-view attendances weren't great. Double or nothing had to be bailed out by the elite Blackpool Combat Club. Um, that had to be moved into the main event. It wasn't yep. planned as the main event. And you also had, you know, a lot of backup, not just in the pay-per-views, but in different TV segments. TV, you know, wasn't huge numbers on TV segments. And then you hit into the the summer, you know, and the Better Than You Baby thing. And that really was the kind of the business success of this reign. Yes. And then the winter has kind of been very much up and down, you know. They did the quick and mega MJF thing, which business-wise wasn't a great decision, but... I can understand why he wanted why he wanted to do it, and then everything kind of creatively since Grand Slam hasn't been great. The numbers have kind of fell back down. Grand Slam was probably his second biggest achievement. Yep, um, we've not seen him do a huge amount of press outside of this pay per view and Grand Slam as well, which is a little bit weird. And then the biggest thing I would say, so you know, they said yeah, this pay per view did pretty well. They think it's just on a full gear, so. Hopefully it'll end up at 134,000. That's a big achievement. Or what wasn't on the card? You get the benefit of the Who Done It thing. That's always very popular with wrestling audiences. Look at the you know secret guest return for Raw this week with the, with oh, the yeah. Rock. You know, does she, that stuff works every time? The Bray Wyatt stuff. Yes. it works. You know, they also had the benefit of, and I'll be interested to see if this holds for the next pay per view. I doubt it will. They ran a much lower price point on fight. So we yes. were down. At, you could get it at ten ninety nine, which is about yeah, about just under fifteen dollars. Probably the cheapest I've ever seen a pay per view. It is cheap. So they had lots of good factors going in on that, and it did well. 
but what did it set up coming out of that? What did it set up that's going to change the ticket advances that are weak for the next two months running into um, Revolution? What did it change that you've set up enough babyface challenges for your heel world champion? You know, in terms of you're looking at preparation or you're looking at the, how does this reign set up the next? How does it ensure this company is more successful coming out of the reign than going forward than what it was going in? And in that regard, I guess we'll see. But at the moment, I'm not sure. I think... You know, I'm kind of like, obviously they're selling the heck out of Wednesday as, as Dynamite Homecoming and they're, you know, talking it up a lot. And, uh, you know, my hope is that they've got people back. They have plans, you know. I was like, we have, I thought, okay, the Adam Cole promo was extremely long, blah, 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 blah. I thought, I got really excited when Jay White came out because I was like, yeah, Jay White should be pissed. Like, why was he collateral damage in this bullshit devil stuff? Like, why did he have to get involved? And then... Now there's some weird disagreement with the acclaimed. So now we're back to the guns and the acclaimed again, which is just kind of like, okay, I guess. Like, there's not a lot exciting there. There's not a lot that got me, you know. I, I was absolutely convinced that um, Jay White was going to get involved uh, with Orange Cassidy, but it seems like that's not going to be the case at this point. Like, what, what's the – Roosh is out. Roosh is injured, That's which sucks for him. being tore a hamstring. We don't know how long he's going to be gone. Um, what's going on with those guys? Like, you know, it just, you know, the tag division is a joke. And Mass. I think that's, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke right now. And I get that there were probably plans in place for Kenny and Jericho that were abandoned with um, mm -hmm. Kenny's injury and the Jericho stuff. But like, y you've got to be kidding me with this right now. Like we have all of these tag teams and we're still stuck on Starks and Big Bill who have defended what, <laughs> twice since they've won it? Like, I just, you know, both of the multi-man divisions are still, like, when was the last time the, okay, the trio's belt was defended against Top Flight and Action Andretti, but, like, you know, we have all of these amazing wrestlers and these amazing factions, and instead of shaking them up and do something new, we're sort of still stuck treading water in the same place, you know? And I, I like, I don't know if they're waiting for people to come back from Tokyo, if they're waiting for freaking Osprey, like, what the deal is, but, like... You know, I just feel like I've been in a holding position for so long and waiting for them to get, like, waiting for the Continental Classic to be over, waiting for MJF's reign to be over, and, like, still waiting. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> still waiting. I would like something fun to happen, right? And I get that, like, you're going to cycle people out and, like, stuff's going to be, you know, where, where, for the love of God, are the Young Bucks? Where is Jack Perry? <laughs> where are the Lucha Brothers? Where is Pac? Where is Chuck Taylor? Where are my fun guys, right? I want my fun guys back. I want to watch my fun guys. There's no fun guys to watch. Like Miro and Andrade in like the most exciting thing that happened was CJ yelled about her finger. Like, woo. I like, that was a fucking slog. Dustin versus Swerve. Like whoever is doing, whoever's doing the, I, I, I can't, Christ. I can't. Whoever's doing the booking where they think that there should be a career ending injury angle in the first three minutes and then the match should go another 30 minutes needs to be like, they have to go sit in a closet for an hour. Like, mm -hmm. this is ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I think Dustin Rhodes is very nice. He he works very hard. He You know, all that good stuff. The man should not be doing like that, like that angle with that leg injury and then a match for like fucking 20 minutes. That was ridiculous. Like, and not fun. It wasn't fun. <laughs> It was, look, it was an example of, yeah, it does, that, it literally gave me complete WWE 2016 triggers. Completely. 
Because what they're trying to do with Swerve is they're trying to keep him here. But you are using all the babyface devices and the crowd love him. So you're going to fight it. You're going to fight it like you did with Becky Lynch, you know, or what they did with Brian Danielson. It doesn't work. All you no. will do is destroy your babyfaces. You know, yep. there's, there's a real simple way that you could do it, you know. Hangman has this thing now of you're never going to get the title. That automatically is going to make Hangman a heel to a large section oh, of that crowd. Heck yeah. Right? And that should be the intention to me. That should be the intention is that he then, you know, he's rabid. He just loses his mind completely over, obsesses over this, finds a way to steal that championship and you have Swerve Chase. That's easy money. And then no you brainer. have that big third match, you know, do it at Wembley Stadium. Because as much as people are like, oh, you need Will Ospreay in the, fire, in the you know, main event at Wembley Stadium, sell Wembley Stadium. Sometimes, here's a secret, fans in different locations want to just see the hottest match, the best match. They don't need to have a British guy in there, a Canadian guy in there, a Japanese... No. That's not what they need. They want to see the best programs. In fact, sometimes when you just go, oh, I'm going to do the local draw versus this, it feels like we're being undercut. Like we're not right. being given the top thing. Like, you know, it's the same thing. If it was WrestleMania in London, they want a WrestleMania main event. Oh, not just like, you know, an Insurrection 2002. That's... It's just... It's such a backwards way of thinking sometimes, and it ignores the kind of the global nature of of wrestling now, that we don't need to do that. But I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to keep trying to force this through. And unless, you know, if you have him cut off Nana from being able to do the dance, or you start doing all that sort of stuff, and you take away the, the call and response, fine. But then that may work. But if you don't, and it may not work anyway, because they want something fresh, they want something new. And I don't think there's a massive... I think people have become acceptant of Samoa Joe. And I know when we first discussed the Joe idea, when we first kind of had that news, we weren't enthralled by it. In fact, I think we were pretty anti uh, Samoa Joe in that belt. But we got so kind of tired of kind of all the Mac stuff. And it was a little bit of fatigue, like he talked about, that we just kind of went, okay, fine, yeah, Joe. But I don't think anyone's infused about Joe. No. And I think anyone's excited. We're not seeing his merch kind of fly off or we're not seeing ticket sales suddenly shoot up. It's not happening. So you kind of think, okay, so what comes next? And you need whatever comes next has to be hot. Um, I will tell you what's one. hot, Trish. And I think that this is something we need to briefly touch on. Uh, Hangman's fucking mustache is hot. <laughs> okay. Like, let's, it's 2024. Let's be who we are. Let's take a brief sure. moment to talk about I like wrestling because of the storytelling and the, everything. I also like looking at really pretty people. And Hangman on Wednesday was a gorgeous goddamn specimen of a man. Oh my God. Oh, whew. that was like the whole thing was just. Come on, Trish. Don't leave me hanging on this one. You felt I know you felt the same way. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 How can you uh, not? Oh um, my god, yeah, Jesus. Like, like, but this is what I'm saying. Like, this would refresh Hangman too, right? Because like ideally the man would be your number one baby face, but like you're not fucking gonna do it for whatever goddamn reason. So fine. <laughs> Let him have like a new character reset. Let him get freaky obsessed with Swerve. Let him like chase Swerve. Swerve, the audience is dying to love swerve and i don't know like if he wants to be a baby face like somebody needs to sit him down and be like honey you you can't like you already you, have you, a baby you just did baby face for half of the continental classic you know you can't you can't like everybody fucking loves you like just let it happen like be the good guy for a little bit you can switch again later but like you know this is like uh, again it just i appreciate that again there's always things we don't know about and yada 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 but this 
why you're not putting all your chips on this sucker and writing it? Like, if nothing else, I was at least enthused to see Tony Khan acknowledge Hangman's existence when he was like, oh, it's nice <laughs> to have Hangman showing up on screen. Like, yeah, Tony, it is nice. It's great. You know who has the choice to put him on television? You do, buddy. <laughs> what if he did that all the time? <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. I had a conversation on Friday about Hangman, and it was kind of... No disappointing, that's probably the wrong word, but it was kind of demoralising in a way because I think I hoped coming out of Full Gear and the impact that that had on their pay-per-view number and how important those numbers being generated are to kind of looking toward towards their TV deal and etc. I thought you had a chance to kind of consolidate him as well as making Swerve a star and I think they'll just focus on Swerve and that's not to take away from Swerve. No! You know, he's worked incredibly hard, but I thought you had the chance to come out with two rather than one and I do think they'll just focus on the one. Um, but I'd, you know what I'd like to see him do is I'd like to see him kind of force his issue a little bit and you know I think he's too unselfish at times and that doesn't mean you know go out and leak to the press he's not going to do that anyway in my no. but <laughs> don't go out <laughs> that was funny um, but don't go out you know you don't need to go leak to the press or cry in interviews or any of that kind of shit because he, he's not going to do that anyway but go out and kind of every single thing you do, just force it, you know, make people start. And people are starting to look up and go, actually, maybe this guy is the storyteller in all these things. Maybe he's not the guy being carried, you know, like people would say, oh, in the Moxley stuff. And it's like, this is the best storyteller they have in the company now. Especially right. with Kenny being out. He's arguably the best big match wrestler in the company. The consistency. Maybe you can argue Brian Danielson, but we don't have Brian Danielson on a full-time roster for very much longer. No. You need to make this guy. And I don't care, you know, you've got Will Ospreay coming in and Ospreay's a great wrestler. You know, he's got to convert to TV yet. Yeah. You have your own guy. So, but I'd like to see Paige kind of force his issue a little bit and kind of remind people who he is with the time yeah. he's given. Yeah. And kind of force it a little bit more behind there. And also, you know, he's the example to the originals. So there's this big thing if they bring somebody in. And say they bring Osprey in, I want to make a big deal out of him because it might encourage other people to sign. I think people signing there know exactly what they're going to get, and they know that they're going to get focus on Khan anyway. I yep. think it's a much bigger deal trying to keep hold of some of your original talent and your developing talent and to prove that there is, you know, a way to the top and you yep. can become one of those main players. Because being a main player in AEW doesn't necessarily mean having the world title. It's having TV time on a consistent basis every single week and focus spots with good promotion, actual good promotion, you know, yep. being on all over everything, getting merchandise promotion in the buildings. And we'll talk about that in a minute. There's a funny quote on that. And, um, you know, having that promo time week to week as well to be able to push your stories forward. You know, you don't see John Moxley fall off and disappear into the ether for, for six weeks out of story like you've seen Orange Cassidy. You don't see... Chris Jericho do that. You don't see MJF do that. You don't see Christine Cage do that now. So that is the kind of the top focus acts in AEW. And you kind of, he needs to push to make himself that. Not for Tony. And, you know, whatever status their relationship is now is whatever. Not for even for the company, but just for himself, really. Just to kind of illustrate to people who still, for some reason, cannot see this guy right in front of their face. So, yeah, I'd like to see him kind of push a little bit more on the shit. I would hope so. Like, I mean, let's face it, the most exciting that the devil shit was at the end was when <laughs> Swerve and Hangman were involved in it. Like, that's when it was like, oh, shit, this is awesome. And then they disappeared from that storyline and the last couple of weeks were just freaking dire. Right. Like, you yeah. know, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't fun. And, I, you know, I get that I'm not 
you know, my, what I'm interested in is not necessarily what everybody else is interested in, but like, I would just like some exciting things to happen. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I would like to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to see at least some of my favorite wrestlers, you know, like, nice. you know, <laughs> like it's going to like there'll be a bit of a shakeup and I'll see some of these people and it won't just sort of be the same people over and over and again or I'll see new configurations. Like I was super excited to see uh, Copeland fight Griff Garrison, right, who I thought had a pretty good showing. And I was like, hey, let's do something here. But like that sort of seems like it isn't, you know, because as much as I enjoyed and as great as I think Christian Cage has been like this feels very WWE to me, right? A lot of what's being done with that storyline is, you know, I was, I loved that Copeland, I thought that was a great match. I loved that he beat him, but the whole Luchasaurus coming out and like cashing money in. in the bank. Yeah. Oh my it, God. It, it, it was awful. It was awful. I hated yeah. that part of it. Everybody who I watched with when it happened was like, ugh, I don't like that. Like, that's not the kind of shit AEW used to do. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm there's, that's the kind of stuff where I'm kind of like, Eh, we could have a little less of this, but, you know. And this is the thing, so they talk about more sports presentation, but to me, sports presentation isn't just, like, the interviews or more competitive no. matchups. It's less bullshit. And that's what most people talk about when they talk about sports presentation. It's about earning matches and less bullshit. Yeah. And I don't know if we've seen anything different in that regard yet. I don't think like we have. I don't feel like we have. And, you know, and maybe the when we look back at Max's reign, in particular, one, maybe one of the thing we look at is, has it transform the crowd to the point where they cannot go back to kind of more of their original incarnation and we will always have a significant level of this stuff because you've attracted that sort of thing you've, and he didn't start that but maybe he escalated that from you know everybody coming in in 2021 with a punk called Danielson <sighs> so maybe that's somewhere we would judge that more longer term so you can say yeah okay so pay-per-view you could argue he's a success Ratings wise, he's had successes as a company, you know, they haven't had a great year. And you know, you've got to match up with also the impact of collision. And in live attendances, I think Dave worked it out once you take out kind of the Wembley stuff, they're about ten percent down on the year. So you've got to work out whether it's success or not for that. But in the long term it will be how much did the fan base change and did that make them more successful or were they more kind of loyal fans than what we had at the start or not so i think that's something you look out in the long term and then you also look at you know what came out of it what's the success of this devil stuff will that be a sufficient second program and especially if you are going to go with a new world champion especially it's different because if you gave hangman that belt for that summer he know he's had a time world champion he's establishing his numbers as well yeah that's different but if you were to give swerve the belt do you one have the programs for him to run to so, you know, you can say he can get his win back over Brian Danielson, he can go to John Moxley, use you established hands, fine, okay? But are you going to give him that time? But the biggest thing you'll need is to have a strong second program, just like Max did with Paige and Moxley into BCC versus the Elite. Right. Oh, God, please do not give him the belt of revolution behind something else. I am not into this. I know people say it's a big... If you were going to give Swerve the belt, you give him a revolution... It's, you know, a full house. Right. No. I don't think... (laughs) 
I wouldn't do it to anybody, but I sure shit no. wouldn't do it to Swerve. I think the idea of having, first of all, you're going to have people that are going to take bad faith criticisms to AEW to begin with, right? So you're going to yep. have people that are going to call it something that it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, like Swerve winning the belt should be a big fucking deal. And Absolutely. nothing at Revolution is going to be as good as, as Sting's last match, right? You already know that's what you're advertising. This is what you're selling. That's what people are there for. Like, fine. Give them something else good, but like you should not be having the Swerve winning his first title. No. There, right? Like, I mean, give it to can, Hangman and then have Swerve chase him. But like, we don't... can call out the the bad faith and we can say what it is. I'm not going to say that. No, no. He's going to be your first black yes. world champion. Yes. Every other world champion, other than Kenny Omega, as we explained earlier, has won the title on pay per view. The right. only one that didn't get a distinct moment was Samoa Joe, who's a veteran who's won world titles before. Kenny Omega won his first world title in uh, a Sarkadra Hall at Dominion in a major title match. Right. You give them that complete moment, that top moment. It needs to be the lead thing coming out of that pay-per-view. It needs to be the biggest deal that you can make. You yes. don't make it secondary to anything. It's just you are setting him off on a bad foot. He's going to need all the support he can, get, he can get. Because as we've seen previously in AEW, you know, that level of investment behind you might not always be there. Right. So at least get that from the start. So I just don't want to... S- yeah. I have no doubt he'll get that championship this year. I have no doubt they're behind him, but don't hamper him from the start because you've seen how many people are out. As soon as someone gets that belt, it changes just like that. Yep. That's... uh... <laughs> I, like this would be a great opportunity to fucking promote like the tag belts, like main event with something that, or or do something Absolutely. that, like come on, I, I I don't know. Anyway, it, how hard would it be to get them belts onto Sting and Darby Allen? You know that, right. you know. And I know this thing; it depends whether you want Sting to lose his last match or not. But you know, tradition would normally be you retire, he would lose, you his... lose exactly. And we know Darby. You know, we can't put Darby towards Samoa Joe because he's going to Everest after, isn't he? He's going to climb Everest. After Revolution, I think if he's the... climbing peak climbing season for Mount Everest is uh, April May okay. May June, so he needs right. to go there like April. So he's got to go training and things. Yeah. yeah. So if this is actually happening, which I still think this is some kind of giant <laughs> rib. <laughs> yeah. So you are kind of coming away from that. How hard would it be for them to pick up the belt belts instead of Jericho and Guevara, and then have the Bucks back and do that match? Right. It's not hard. No. That would revitalize that division pretty quickly. Heel bucks me now to hold that over everybody for the rest of it writes itself. The best yeah. match you're going to get on that card if you're going to have a tag match is against the bucks, right? You know, yeah, it made Sting look fantastic at uh, Forbidden Door in uh, 2020. Yes, three, 22, 22. My god, I'm losing track of the years. Dudes uh, with attitudes, yes, f- fantastic match. Probably, I think, the match of the night actually. Um, crowd went insane when he came off the top of the uh, the entrance stage, so it's not hard. But there seems to be so many things where you think, this is really not hard. How and they don't do it. This? And they're not doing it. And I hope it changes. I do. But we, I feel like we do this too often on terms of saying, oh, next cycle, next cycle, next cycle. It's, that, it's the kind of AEW equivalent of let it play out. And I'm getting worn that. down, Trish. I'm getting worn down. <laughs> I don't want to be worn down. There comes a time. There comes a time where you have to kind of reward the loyalty of your fan base and otherwise you kind of start to lose that loyalty like uh, they 
where are they like to 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 borrow a bit from our brother podcast? I love having brother podcasts and not just sister podcasts. Our brother <laughs> podcast, One Nation Radio, with James Boyd. Where the fuck are the elite? Like <laughs> this is the future the cornet stands want an elitless AEW. It, it sucks. <laughs> it fucking sucks. It's terrible. It's boring. The middle of the pay per view is boring. Like it's it's why like. Great. Good luck, guys. Like, th- like this is what I want to say to some of these fans where I'm like, great, you did that. Like, now are you happy? Like, it was boring. Like, you're not watching anymore, right? Like, why couldn't you have <laughs> let it alone and let us enjoy it? You know? Same thing with this Jericho stuff, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you, you're going to want to ride him off TV? Like, you want to run him off television? Like, great. It's going to be boring. Like, like I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, like, I want the Young Bucks to come back. I miss them terribly. I am... Uh, Hoping that whatever they decide to do, they're happy with. But please, please come back to the five and dime. We miss you so much. <laughs> that pay-per-view was so boring. <laughs> oh, we'll move on with uh, rewarding fan loyalty. And we'll talk about Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Transition Trish is on the tag today. Uh, yes, <sighs> let's talk about Wrestle Kingdom, which was uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the thing you talked about. You wanted for 2024, Trish. You wanted yeah. Naito to win in the dome. You wanted yes. the roll call. Yes. It looked <laughs> scary there for a minute. I was like, oh God, this is not going to go well. Me. They got me. They got me so much in the last few minutes. So she's going to be in a bad mood. <laughs> oh, no, no. So the, the key thing with this is you have to reward loyalty. And 10 years now. So 10 years ago, for anybody that's not familiar with Naito's story, there was a fan vote. He was supposed to be the challenger for the heavyweight title, and the crowd hated him. He was supposed to be a babyface, and they hated him. And there was a fan vote, and they were relegated from the main event to the semi-main event, which is like a huge dishonor, and the, the IC title was moved up. And that kind of broke Naito a bit, to the point where he actually went on excursion. He was hated that much. He went back to Mexico and then he came back with the current character. And the whole current character is based on he doesn't care. And to the point where, you know, people look at him and he's destroying like the mid the mid-card title and they're like, why is he doing that? And it's like, because that's not what he wants. He hates that title. He wanted the world title. This thing destroyed his life. But he acts like I don't care. But everybody knows he cares and then everybody cares for him. And that won the crowd and then By the time we got through to 2020, where we thought we were going to get his big run, he didn't get the roll call. Kenta interrupts the roll call. And we love Kenta in our little group, don't we? But We do. Fuck Kenta. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So fun to be a Mark sometimes. Right, but... uh, So then they did the summer, and obviously they lost the plan for that summer because of COVID and everything like that. So you now have Naito, who has completed his dome, but now, this is his last run. And I think every LIJ fan they have knows this. But this gives them perfect cover now to try and work up some of their musketeers, their young guys, to get them kind of into the mix and kind of progress into that main event. Because Naito has had the kind of the final surgery he can have on his double vision. Yes. So he actually wrestled a whole G1 with double vision, um, which is insane. I, I can't even imagine doing that. But you have that cover now because he will draw this money this year just by himself. You know, New Beginning and Osaka is already sold out. Yes. Osaka, who hated him the most and now loves him the most. It's probably my favorite story ever. But 
that's already sold out. He's talking about wanting to do Mazda Stadium, which is the Hiroshima Toyo Cup baseball ground in uh, Hiroshima. And that's currently not on the calendar. So you're going to probably look at a summer date for that, at least kind of June. So if it gives you an idea of this rain, this rain is going to go long. It's not just going to be cut off at the knees because they know it's the final run and they want to make as much money out of it as possible. And then he's also talking about running the Budokan, which is also not in the current plans for Secure Genesis or for any of the kind of spring summer events. We thought we might have the anniversary show in the Budokan. It's nice and not the gymnasium. Um, there's a quite a few sh shows actually early on in the year that are much smaller in much smaller venues than some of the ones that we normally would. So even like the New Year's Dash show wasn't in Otter this year. It was in Sumido, which is a smaller venue. So they've done some downsizing to kind of, it's like cost saving to fill these venues, but save a cost. So the idea of running something like Mazda and getting all them people in is like a second Tokyo Dome for the year. So that'll be incredibly important for their bottom line. And, you know, that is a challenge in Japan right now. They've talked about kind of how much profit they want to make. We've seen they're not being able to compete kind of contract-wise or anything like that. We've seen the talk of Okada, which now yeah, brought us President Tanahashi. I was going to say that's kind of died down now that uh, President Tanahashi has taken over. Yeah, so that seems to be a power play. And it shows you how kind of the contract situation and this kind of money drain to the, the big kind of TV-based companies in the U.S., is impacting on Japanese kind of companies that are more based on live events. Because Akada, someone that you never thought would have possibly gone anywhere, was able to essentially, you know, administrate a complete change of leadership Yeah, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, with Tanahashi coming in, support from directors at TV Asase coming in and being his kind of his business brain, and Abari kind of being replaced, who Carter wasn't fond of, quite openly not fond of, and a lot of other people weren't fond of there, whether it be for more of the kind of sports entertainment-y kind of house of torture stuff being more prevalent, or just felt disrespected. So that's going to be really interesting, because Tanahashi is very front-facing, no one really has a bad word to say about him, that will change now. It will. Yeah. It's, it, undoubtedly it will change. But there are so many more people more positive about the future of New Japan going into this year under Tahashi than they were a few months ago when they were struggling with the, the changeover from the New Japan World Service and not knowing what was going to happen with Okada. And we spoke about it last time. You know, It's better yeah. for everybody that Okada remains yes. in that ecosystem. And especially with WWE starting kind of um, making maneuvers into Japan where what we saw with All Japan and the kind of, you know, that's impacted hugely as well. They have lost a lot of senior business people and people in their office, wrestlers that are in their office or communication between wrestlers and the booking team, because most of them are booking committees in Japan. But that's all impacted there as well. So you've got all these kind of strains and stresses coming into Japanese wrestling. And we're now seeing much, much kind of quicker turn in all these companies than what we were so for new japan that stability of having tetsuya naito for him being able to just sell merch by the and tickets by the boatload and have this final run is great because it gives them that freedom then to build everybody back up and then hopefully we also see a big year out of okada as well because last year was very much kind of felt like a down year for okada and he could be crucial in elevating you know umaro and suji and shota rumino which is really the guys they're relying on as the other ones age. 
Well, it started off where it seemed like it was going to be like fun asshole Okada, and then it kind of fell <laughs> off. And that would know, be great. That, that's what we need. Keep keep that up. Yeah. Do something interesting. But yes, yeah. for those of you that are not sure what we're talking about, one of the things that got reported in this week's Observer was that WWE is interested in possibly forming a partnership with All Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, Regal's son, Charlie Dempsey, uh, actually was in All Japan for a, I think it was a title match, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he had, um, he won a tag match where he pinned Nakajima the day before and then he wrestled Nakajima uh, the day late, yes. Yeah, so there's some conversations about that. There was some. There was even a tidbit in there about how uh, Triple H is hoping to reconnect with uh, President Tanahashi now <laughs> for New Japan. But I, I, I would be shocked for New Japan to walk away from their relationship with AEW to a relationship with WWE. It's put New Japan in a more powerful place with AEW. Yeah, and you've only got to look at this Dome show and see that you know all the AEW talent actually lost on this show. Yeah, which wouldn't have happened, hasn't happened previously. So that's definitely a change in that relationship. You think even last year, like Kenny Omega beat Will Ospreay there. And I know they did the reverse, but we felt that differently. John Moxley had a record of never being beaten in Japan in a singles match for a long period of time. So it changes their kind of leverage in this relationship. And I think we're going to see more of that. So they've just announced uh, Windy City Riot in April. And it's in Wintrust, which held uh, Revolution 2020. So it's a big, big venue. So it is going to need huge kind of support from AEW. You're not just going to be able to throw Moxie and Kingston in there like you are in Battle of the Valley or Osprey. Right. Um, you know, we've seen kind of what that does with Osprey Card just chucked on a card in Vegas. You know, it's not really helped TNA very much. So you're going to need big matchups and they're probably going to have to bring people in that they don't normally run with in Chicago in order to do that. So they have kind of increased their leverage. So... In that relationship, if a because AEW now need to keep New Japan, not New Japan need to keep AEW right. to keep their talent happy, it's a complete change because of the impact of Triple H now wanting to be involved in that area and you know. Yeah. It's Which I think is a good thing, quite honestly. Like I feel like having a little bit more tension in the booking and more opportunities is probably better in terms of making more interesting cards. Like sure. you know, like I don't know. I, I see that as a positive as opposed to a negative, but I mean, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, like, you know, WWE isn't going into any of these places thinking about a partnership. They're, <laughs> you know, they're not going to work with anybody. We've seen this all happen before. I see, you know, yeah. we've seen this firsthand in the UK. Yes. First of all, you yes. get their talent starts to appear on shows. And yep. then Regal comes in and everybody goes, oh, Regal's great. Regal's no threat. Regal's a huge threat. And then Triple, yeah. H, Triple H turns up an attack show. And then all of a sudden... You know, you can't use any talent associated with another company. So at the moment, All Japan have got Takeshita booked to the end of the month. And that's good because that shows we're not at that stage yet. But it will get to a point where it's like, oh, you can only use our talent. You can't use other companies. And then that progresses and progresses. And eventually they just become, you know, surrogates. And this is how it works. It's exactly how it works in the UK. The idea is to just break down the relationships with other companies and, you know, cause them to suffer. So then you just get more and more inroad. And this is the same tactic. That tactic's not going to change. In fact, he's just got more power to do that now than what right. he had previously. And you can already argue that, you know, WWE are on uh, a beamer and they have Noah talent like Keno, you know, the Noah champion, making kind of, they're doing their TV promos for them. So they're, you know, Muto is one of their, is their spokesman in Japan. Yes. So they are already making those inroads in different companies. And I know people have noticed the, uh, the formation of kind of a lobby group for Japanese wrestling. Yes. But, 
but that's more about pressuring government in terms of making wrestling seen as similar to kind of sports and being treated as such in order to get kind of more support than it is about kind of working together to keep WWE out. Because they'll just do whatever makes more sense momentarily for them at the moment. Right. Um, with all Japan, you know, Nakajima, you know, there's been reports this week, you know, Dave said Nakajima wasn't planned to win, uh, to keep the belt. There's actually been reports he was never planned to win the belt originally, but he was definitely not planned to beat Miyahara until yeah. all this stuff started. So it was making fundamental changes to companies already. And it's just something to keep an eye on. But for, yeah, for New Japan and their relationship with AEW, it probably helps them and is a complete change from what happened after Full Gear where, you know, there's a lot of people that say they were caught out by the Continental Classic. And it, it yeah. was probably, when that quieted down very quickly, it was very obvious to her and we discussed it that Eddie was going to win that. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, Eddie's keeping the belt because... You know, he's got this thing with Gabe Kidd and they're doing that for Battle in the Valley, which was their original setup. And that's what they're doing. So, right. yeah, but I, I don't think rebalance is a bad thing in that regard. But you've got to keep it that it doesn't just become, you know, WWE Monopoly in Japan or none of these companies have their kind of independence. So it's like a Cold War without being one. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting time. But yeah, it was it was amazing to see Naito get that moment. You know, it's amazing to kind of have that feeling of your investment rewarded and that stuff. That's why we keep watching, you know. When you think about all the things that happen and all the things that make you frustrated, it is, and I hate the term, you know, we talk about moments, but that was a moment that we've been craving. You know, the match yes. didn't have to be a five-star classic or anything like that. It just needed to have that moment and that drama. And there is nothing better than when it kind of gets in your heart and it makes you real emotional and you really invest in it. Yeah. And it's rare. It's not as common as you think it is to have that kind of investment. And it's powerful. And they really tapped into that. And this, we all know this is the right time to do so. And yeah, I hope it carries New Japan for the rest of the year. So switching from New Japan for wrestling to WWE, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the show, The Rock showed up at uh, Raw this week. Um, I think they did a whole America's Great angle with Jinder Mahal. Um, I did not watch this. Election uh, year special. Election year special. <laughs> Love The Rock. Apparently The Rock was quite winded, which I can certainly relate to because I have been known to get so excited talking that I have been out of breath. But, um, <laughs> the best part about The Rock's arrival was all of the uh, Cody memes that immediately... <laughs> happened afterwards because The Rock made enough hints that it does seem as though he is going to be uh, wrestling Roman Reigns at this year's WrestleMania. At least that seems to be the plan right now, um, or the hints of the plan. Um, and it's been kind of fascinating to watch this go down, Trish, because I feel like there are a lot of fans that are not happy about this. Like, And I will say casual fans because I definitely have a couple of places where I, you know, on the internet where I, I see casual fans that are like, why are they doing this? Why can't The Rock? The Rock's going to win in Perth, Australia, is what I was told. Like, that's where he's <laughs> so, going to be on elimination. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be WrestleMania. The Rock's going to wrestle Roman Reigns in Perth, Australia, at Elimination Chamber. Like, I was assured of this, um, like, by a man, shockingly. But I was like, yeah, okay, sure, buddy. Of course. Um, whatever. But, like, there's people that are definitely a little disappointed that Cody's getting kind of shoved to the side here, which I found sort of fascinating. Um, 
you know, slight fan unrest, I guess would be the way to describe it. Um, and the other thing we had is obviously whatever, um, you know, the second main event night is up in question. And I know that one of the things that was getting leaked at one point was that, you know, CM Punk expected to fight Roman Reigns. And that seems to be out the window at this point as well. So um, it's kind of fascinating to see The Rock show up now. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Trish? I think the idea that anybody in a corporate position in WWE would just want The Rock to wrestle in Perth, Australia at 6am <laughs> Eastern Time is absolutely fucking insane. Yeah. Oh my god. Right. So let's deal with that first. You could run Rock and Roman in Perth, but it's the biggest match you have. Why would you right. not put that on the biggest card? I know everybody says the per you know, the Australian government would want him to wrestle. Then you do a tag match and you do a setup. Right. I want a million dollars. It doesn't mean I'm getting it. Like, yeah. You, if yeah. you want to do both nights, if you want to do both nights at WrestleMania, then you have Cody and The Rock team uh, right. in Australia. It's not hard. No. But if you are if you are WWE or you are TKO, you want The Rock on TV as many weeks as possible leading up to Mania. You yes. want to maximize that value. You're also dealing with pretty big like for likes because there were some huge weeks last year off the back of the Bloodline stuff, especially Correct. around the Rumble time. And then Cody returning. So you want to make the most money out of this for your TV deal. Because that's what this is about. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because you have Punk come in and everybody said he's like the key to... And we'll talk about this in a minute. But he's like the kind of key to this TV deal. But there's always somebody bigger in WWE. Yes. And not for the first time. CM Punk's finding out, oh, look. Yeah, I might be here, but The Rock is here. Poor guy. Yeah, I'm... I'm, oh, I'm, I'm crying I'm, for him. Who knows? <laughs> There would be some delicious irony there if he doesn't end up being offensive. <laughs> I'm making Alvarez faces right now. <laughs> oh, that that was phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> it was great stuff. But, yeah, so there is this thing that he comes in, you know, last Monday, and his segment, even against, you know, the post-coverage of the Rose Bowl, which is 32 million, and then the Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl? My, my yes. college football knowledge is nowhere near as good as it should be. That's uh, all right. Did Go blue. Eight, boom. There's over 18 million, right? Huge, huge competition in that episode. There's a point, uh, 0. 0.6. Six, yeah. Yeah, so point 0.6. That his quarter, even with an ad break, I had to go back and check this, did way, way better than the Autumn Return post-Survivor series and way better than the Punk segment and way better than the Punk stuff segment. Yeah. Like, it he was did over huge. 2 million. Yeah. yeah. It was enormous. It's and he was not advertised. No, and what it was... And a difference, you know, when we discuss Punk and we discuss the Seth segment uh, privately, you know, the thing that happens with Punk is, is people come in and they just watch Punk and then they go away again. You're right. But with somebody like The Rock, they come in and they watch the whole thing. It, it taps into that loyal part of that audience. And you see them come in. So after the Rose Bowl, they're in. And then they run all the way through. And then, you know, credit to Drew and Seth because they stayed. You know, that main event did really, really well. Yeah. So... But yeah, he is much more powerful. And he's much more powerful as a name. You know, he's a recognisable name in every household everywhere. Yes. So the idea of having him use that for your promotion and then backing them up. You know, you walk anybody into a network <laughs> and you walk in and people say, oh, we walk in with CM Punk and we're talking about merchandise. He means something to maybe some people. Who don't be you walk in with a rock. Yeah. The rock. <laughs> Everybody's looking. Every media is looking. 
the amount of coverage that they will get out of that, you know, huge, huge. How many more can they, you know, sell the rest of that building? It's two nights. Like, you could have their biggest box of whatever. It just makes too much sense in that regard. And I get it. There's a loyalty factor, and it's that same thing that we've been talking about with WWE for a decade and that, that you can have somebody who works full-time for the year and you've got this story and then that part-timer come in. Yep. But this year, that's it's going to be the reality. Um, well, and as you said, the big part of this is the TV deal, right? Because at this sure. point, WWE still has not sold the rights for uh, Raw. That's mm-hmm. still up in the air. And one of the things that did happen while you and I were out, which I'm somewhat <laughs> relieved that it did because I feel like I would have screamed for an entire hour, was we had a uh, a lot of rumors and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff around uh, WBD having a meeting with WWE yep. about their rights. And mm-hmm. a lot of leaks from people in Punk's camp taking credit for this meeting, that either he set it up or he was involved in it. Well, he in leaked way. the meeting. We know he, he leaked, leaked the, the meeting. meeting. Yes, yeah. Even but even this... guys like Sean Ross Sapp are actually saying he leaked that today. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which I'm kind of living for that now because like nobody's playing the game anymore. But no. you know, we're not pretending <laughs> he's not talking. Like he's sure. fucking talking. But I want to say this because like this is my little like rant for this. I don't ever want to hear anybody talk about how much CM Punk loves wrestling ever again. Like because there is an entire promotion worth of people that he has decided need to not have jobs. So he can carry out his little petty grudges, right? He's mad at Tony Khan. He's pissed he got fired. And so an entire promotion of wrestlers are going to, so not even just the AEW promotion, wrestlers in general are going to lose the benefit of having two separate companies bidding for their services, right? You're going to have a whole bunch of people who are going to go back to a time period where only WWE existed if this is what he wants to have happen, right? He wants to essentially cut AEW out off, out, off the knees. He wants to have WBD take over that contract so he can be considered a big fucking deal and take credit for it, right? Like, I don't want to hear any of this man of the people shit. I don't want to hear any of the CM Punk of wrestling shit. Like, we're over with this. Like, it's dead, right? We can decide this is dead now, right? The man doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself, and he doesn't care about anything other than what he cares about in the moment. Like, your desire, like, like, oh, do you need a wrestling job? Like, tough shit, kid. You're out of luck. Like, maybe the WWE will hire you. Maybe not. Like, I, I'm, this just infuriated me so fucking much. Like, I don't want to hear anybody ever again talk about this guy loves wrestling, because he doesn't give a flying fuck about it. And, and, and my hysteria. There we go. <laughs> I shouldn't say hysteria. It's not hysteria. It's very rational. My the thing that kind of makes me laugh the most is people that celebrate it who love WWE, and you think the people that actually want the biggest deal that AEW can get TV wise are WWE wrestlers because it gives them all the leverage. Right. If they right. don't get a huge deal and they offer less wages, all that leverage goes. They all right. lose. Every this single the wrestler definition. in the industry loses. It is the definition of workers' rights. Right. It is the definition of workers rights. Like we're going to have somebody who's going to we have two viable companies and you're going to say that because I'm pissed off at Tony Khan because whatever. And I'm mad at the Young Bucks and I'm pissed at this that I'm going to freaking put that do my best to put an entire fucking promotion out of business. Like that's just that's just come on. Like like fine. You like the guy's wrestling. You think he gives a good promo. Great. But I don't want to hear about what a good person he is. Okay. (laughs) like let's stop with let's stop with that. Thank you very much. I agree. (laughs) Gusty sigh. Anyway, that occurred while we were out. Probably good that it did. (laughs) Moving right along. The other... Yeah, go ahead. We didn't really discuss it publicly. I didn't get involved in any of that stuff. But we did discuss it with people who know far more than we do. (laughs) Correct. um, Yeah, who work in TV. And, you know, some work in WBD. And the kind of the key lines that came out of that was 
yeah, the meeting did happen. It was pretty open plan space, that office in New York that WBD have. So it was seen by a lot of people. Wasn't secret, wasn't no. out there. And what seems to be the kind of a lot of clear line is people think that, you know, David Zaslav will do kind of whatever he wants when he wants. He's very kind of eccentric. He jumps from one thing to another. But it seems to be very much a power play on pushing down the kind of the value of AEW and warning them, you know, we know the value of WWE. Right. And nothing will really change until we know what's happened with the NBA. Correct. And until then, there's not really a huge amount to talk about. A lot of people who are close in WBD still stick with the line that they don't think AEW is going anywhere. Right. They don't. And that sources within, you know, within that company. I thought what was really interesting was, and we spotted this quite quickly, so that meeting came out and there was, uh, I think his camp was linking that they'd signed with WBD, which has been refuted by multiple people since. Yes. But we know that, you know, Triple H took the week off of after Survivor Series to be in LA for meetings, and that wasn't with WBD, we can kind of establish that now. Yes. And we know, and I can use this because I've got permission to, that they were still negotiating with Amazon at exactly that same time. Right. So that idea that it was a done deal, but why, if it was a done deal, why were they then going back to Amazon? And we know there were. It, it very much seems like it was beneficial to WWE to show other media companies that they had interest from WBD. Absolutely. And it seemed like it was very beneficial for WBD to show AEW, hey, we're looking at <laughs> WWE again, as opposed yep. to a genuine negotiation where it looks very seriously like... You know, but this to me, again, it goes back to, you know, my own petty grudges, which is, you know, CM Punk still wants to take credit for that. Right. Like mm -hmm. he still wants everyone to know he's responsible for that. Like, hey, hang on a minute. I thought that um, I thought AEW got a one billion fill TV deal. Yes. Yes. One billion fill. Right. You know, forgive me for being kind of skeptical on this, but I thought we, we had that TV deal and that was all done and that was all down to him. Wasn't His that close week, personal like six friend months David ago? Zaslav. Yeah, nothing, didn't that, that happen like six months ago? Nothing more punk rock than shouting out the multi-million dollar <laughs> executive of a media corporation. Like, that is the definition of punk rock to me. You know, that's... Well, the other connecting thing that was... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be like the, the straight one here on this and you're like... <laughs> 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 no. Um, but the other interesting thing was obviously the uh, the departure of Kevin Dunn. Yep. And one thing that was discussed very much in terms of if Amazon were really interested in WWE would be that they would want complete control of production. Yep. And the resistance to that would be the presence of Kevin Dunn. And we've seen Mark Shapiro mention previously about, you know, wanting to change things and resistance and now that resistance is removed so i do wonder if that makes amazon kind of a heavier player and you know if you're looking more long term will they look at it and think you know streaming's the future you know i think dave Meltzer brought it up this week which was in quite interesting timing mm. and say that this is worth that long-term investment because at the end of the day they need to deliver nearly 400 billion for what they've promised shareholders yes. know, 387 to 400 billion and you know this belief, I think there's some people that believe, oh, they'll take less money from WBD just no. to get rid of AW. No. They can't. They got, they got completely pulverized on Wall Street because of the, yes. uh, the SmackDown rights renewal. 
and that coming in under what they forecast. They cannot do that. There is not. They are not in this position where they can just go. Oh, you know what? We'll just um, we'll under deliver on our expectations just to get rid of this other company. Like that's not going to cut it. And I think right. Rick Khan knows that. Right. You know, they they took a beating on that deal, and their stock has still not recovered from that. Uh, no. And it's yeah. Um, I think it will be, an, assuming, you know, one of the things that I've thought since the idea of Amazon came into play is it's going to be an interesting test case to see what being on a streaming service does for a big wrestling promotion like WWE, right? Like, you know, and obviously the ratings and everything else, we wouldn't get that. But like, is there as much of a series of buzz around Raw if it's streaming on Amazon as there is now when it's on USA? Like, will an audience follow uh, wrestling to a streaming service like that. I, I will WWE's audience follow them to a streaming service. I I'm very curious about this. It's one of those things where I almost wish it happens just because I want to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the position they're in currently where they are kind of still losing, especially for raw, you know, we're starting to see kind of loss in 50 plus, but a lot of growth in 18 to 34. So you would think right. that this is the prime kind of period for, that sort of transition in terms of setup and being able for them to follow across it's right. in especially it's yeah, probably far more applicable now than it was five, 10 years ago, at least. Right. And we are seeing NFL numbers kind of creep up. They're not on the same level of cable, but how many years, you know, where's that kind of mil that kind of middle point, that meeting right. point. And is that within the kind of the five year duration that they're probably hoping to get for this deal? Well, and as you hinted, they kind of want to start dealing with this. They want this deal to happen relatively soon because, as you said, they had they started their big, big numbers last year around this time. Mm -hmm. So if they're not capable of matching them, if The Rock isn't going to be there, if they can't keep these numbers up, they're going to start seeing a year-over-year decline, which is probably unfair to a degree given how outrageously good their – like in comparison to the decline overall of cable, which is always an important statistic to include when you're talking about year-over-year dating – ratings data. I try to say that five times fast. Um, but like, so, you know, they're going to start seeing some numbers slip in a very unfair way that I think they want to get the, uh, get this deal done sooner rather than later, but I'm pretty sure that's the case for everybody. So. And the NBA is the, the key player and the NBA, yep. you know, they're probably going to split games. So yep. you're going to see, maybe there is a gap with WBD in that regard that they're going to probably carry less games. Yep. Uh, but, you're going to have the in-season tournament as a separate kind of proposition as well. So there's quite a lot of NBA kind of rights to go around. Um, but until that's done, yeah, I just don't foresee it. And it's funny, we had all that talk about things being kind of imminent. And when have we got... Have they just put out their... When they put out their uh, quarter four, I think that'll be next month, won't it? Put out their quarter four next month? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of the key point to kind of keep an eye on because that's when they like to do things like that. Yep. Uh, to kind of really spur their kind of business up. Until then, they'll kind of want to do business as usual. And then, yeah, getting the rock back in on a regular basis would be a real kind of stir on business. It's a huge rumble anyway. Make sure he's there. Kind of use that. And that is their most powerful tool, you know, their ability to be able to go back and get these people that are names with TV executives. Yes. Much, you know, yes. a John Cena or a Rock. It just holds so much gravitas and it's what kind of 
makes it so difficult for anybody to compete with them and why kind of trying to replicate them is never going to work. <laughs> no, it's never going to work. Oh. They just better hope he does not get injured and he can do a full Yeah. Because yikes. Just um, a quick mention of a couple guys that have recently left there as well and kind of how they've kind of found their way since leaving there. So we've seen Must Rally release kind of a really incredible uh, kind of exit video. Not yep. in the same way of I've been locked in here. No, no. This is my campaign. This is my, you know, what I'm doing. This is my established character. Bang, bang, bang. And then pretty much load the rest of the day with releases of appearances. Yes. It's really, really clever marketing. He's got t-shirts to support that. He's got everything going. He's already out on the road. He's rebuilding himself in his own way. Not waiting for anybody to come for him. Just really, really good stuff. And then the other one would be uh, Nick Nemeth. Yes. Who showed up at the Tokyo Dome. The former um, Dolph Ziggler. The former Dolph Ziggler. Who's, uh, I've just seen, I think there's a, he's got a summer tour announced for Australia this afternoon. Wrestling in Australia. He's got a lot of convention it's booked. But I really liked his kind of post promo he did that he cut at the press conference after uh, he attacked David Finlay. And he did the, uh, the the court judge thing. You see the court judge thing in Vegas? Was in Vegas? Yes. No, in Michigan. In Michigan. And uh, he replicated that. He just like dived straight over <laughs> onto, onto Finley. But I really like the promo he cut and I'm really intrigued to see how he does because the big question with him is more around his body and it holding up. You know, he's I think he's 43 now. So that's probably the big question. But in terms of his commitment, I could see him being quite similar to Moxley and how Moxley arrived outside of WWE. And that's kind of... Um, yeah, I want to keep an eye on that. That's kind of invigorating that he's not just going to fall back into I'm going to be this guy I'm just going to no you're going to New Japan you're taking the risk and you want something more and he gave you yeah, a fantastic really fantastic babyface promo just uh yeah I, I thought that one it it definitely was intriguing like it made me more interesting it made me more interested in what he was going to do than I think anything else he probably could have done at that point I just think yeah, you know, people look at them and they just think oh you're coming out of WWE and you've got to kind of wash that off and um, what we've seen in recent years, especially with AEW, is we've just had people come in and be the same guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've seen Cole come in and be the same guy. We saw Punk come back as the same guy. We saw Miro come in and it's literally the same guy. You know, Andrade, we could go through this forever. But there is something to be said about kind of taking different challenges or different paths and coming up with different characters. You know, in the same way Danielson was very quick to transfer when he came across. He wasn't Daniel Bryan yeah. anymore. I'm Brian no. Danielson, you know, revert back to that. And John Moxley was exactly the same. I'm not Dean Ambrose anymore. I'm John Moxley. You right. are going to be far more successful long-term and more far more beneficial to wherever you go by doing that. Yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. So I think we're going to go into our final topic uh, today, um, which is about uh, the, we sort of hinted towards at the beginning of the, the broadcast, but... Um, it's going to be a conversation about uh, the uh, Nick Houseman's, you know, suggesting that there's something bad, bad going on with Chris Jericho uh, and the impact that had on the uh, Jericho's match at the um, mm -hmm. World's End pay-per-view and all that stuff. And I know Trish has done a ton of research, which unfortunately for her <laughs> included having to listen to Nick Houseman's podcast. Oh, um, my God. So I'm going to <laughs> – you're a better person than me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Talk about, uh, we'll see you at the end of this. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to let you lead this off right. and I will chime in as necessary. So I thought the idea of leaving this towards the end was not to kind of hide from it or, no. but it was just kind of, you know, this is a trigger to a lot of people on some of these issues. And, you know, we've done it previously where we said, you know, you decide, you decide whether you want to, you know, listen to us discuss this or you decide that you don't. And that's absolutely perfectly fine with us. But it's not that we treat it with less importance. God, no. Agreed. The the thing with this is, is this didn't start from, you know, somebody wanting somebody to be better or discovering some information and wanting to kind of um, help to safeguard wrestling on that. Now, unfortunately, like most things, it started with something from the CM Punk camp and this kind of proxy war that's going on between Punk and AEW. So this actually started, not on Christmas morning, as some people like to think, but uh, with a still appearing on uh, Rip Rogers' podcast back on the 12th of December. That's the start. And he's the one that says, you know, I think my wife is the only one who can tell the story, referring to Brawl Out. Maybe someday, now she will. And that's the start. And then he also says, oh, I have an excellent lawyer, Stephen Pinu. He's the man. Let's just put that out in the world. And what they did was, was encourage this guy, this the lawyer that's famous for being associated with Jim Cornette, to kind of go on a media tour. It was like, so he runs his own like stuff on his own podcast, and then he goes on the Wrestling with Rip Rogers show, and he also then repeats, you know, she's not got subject to an NDA, she's not subject to confidentiality provisions, uh, so maybe one day she tells a story. And what that was read as by a lot of people, and especially in AEW, is this was a threat. So they were taking Lucy Steele and the fact she hadn't signed an NDA and using it as a threat to say, we're going to tell this story and nobody can say anything because everybody else is under NDA. So already that's not like autonomy. That's just like, you know, we're using this woman as a threat. It's not great. But that's where they started. And that last kind of thing was reported by Jericho's website. Jericho doesn't run his website, let's be clear. Jericho's not sat there typing like little news stories and stuff. <laughs> and they're like, people might want to imagine that, but no, he's not doing that. Um, but he obviously he saw the report on that. And his reply was to quote it and say, you know, well, I didn't sign one. And then you have this exchange on Christmas morning, you know, Stephen P. News saying, oh, it's in your employee handbook. Unless you have a special one, we can figure it out. And Jericho then replied, Hey, Stephen P. New, I don't adhere to an employee handbook and have never had one in the four years of working in it for AEW. I have also never signed an NDA in my life, ever. So stop trying to be a bully and making egotistical fantasy brags for your clients and start doing some research before you make blanket statements about your buddies. Because I saw everything that night, including how Lucy and her husband and best buddy acted and what really went down. And since I was in the room and watching her and everybody else at the time, I know exactly what really happened. And considering you weren't there and I was, maybe you should shut your mouth. I love this. Mark ass up. <laughs> it's not very British. Um, because what really went down was disgusting. So, you know, and people thought, oh, he interjected in this because, you know, <laughs> Houseman described it as wanting to be the centre, basically like the centre of attention. But what this was, was recognition of, you know, this threat and, as was put in the Observer the next week, of saying, you know, they weren't going to let this story, didn't want to, you know, 
story to go out to be negative to the company, but also didn't want to get the wrong story being told without the idea that one side couldn't answer back. And Jericho did see it. He was there. You know, it's been reported multiple times that he was there, and we all seen the, the footage of him going in and telling Tony Khan of whispering it in his right. ear. You right. know, this idea that the people were saying, oh, he was on stage, where we know Swerve and Keith Lee were on the platform at the time that it happened. So his answer back is like a public kind of like, yeah, you're not going to get away with that. You're just, you know, you're starting to force this as a public kind of thing of saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Well, they have a failsafe. And I don't doubt that they have more than one failsafe. If they think that, you know, removing Jericho is the only failsafe, I don't think that's, I, I just, I don't. I think there will definitely be more than one. I to, Just to say, Trish, to go back to this, I think that all you have to do is look at the Observer that came out the week after uh, uh, Punk tried to claim the dog thing and Castle Doctrine. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. the next week's Observer had at least three to four different wrestlers (laughs) that could be, and probably more, giving a full accounting of what happened in that room. So I think there are a lot of people that are happy to stay quiet as long as they need to stay quiet, but they're not going to be, they're not going to allow, it lies basically to be spread. And this seemed to be yeah. of that. So, yeah, and that's it. So, this wasn't a oh, Jericho's just intersecting himself into this thing that doesn't belong to him. No, Jericho's replying to what is a threat. That's what it is. He didn't instigate anything. Like, I right. think there seems to be this idea to try and create this public possession perception that he instigated. No, he replied to this as a threat. And then the reply that he got from Nick Houseman was he interjected with said, Well, what about the NDAs you make other people sign? So, that to me is actually the only allegation, full allegation that's been made in it. Right. That he gets other people to sign NDAs. We're not told what type of NDAs. We're not told what they relate to. There's NDAs for multiple things, right? It's not like you can't just put in a box, oh, you sign an NDA, no, therefore everybody's bad, right? You, right? That doesn't work like that. So, but that is... I just signed an NDA for work two weeks ago, and it was yeah, not right? nefarious at all. Like... <laughs> But that is the only, that's the only allegation in all this. There isn't another allegation. It doesn't exist at current. And that's kind of important to kind of know because we're talking about what essentially is, in general here, um, rumours. We aren't talking about an allegation that someone's come forward to with that was a victim. We're not talking to someone that witnessed something or wants to kind of bring something up and or some carefully crafted information, as we've seen, you know, where we exposed people of sexual misconduct or other things in the past. Right. You know, I think this year, probably the most prominent example was the Russell Brand story. Yes. It took four years for the journalist to gather enough information to have to make sure that the victims were comfortable enough for that to be released, and to be released as, you know, a joint aspect to have the kind of maximum impact to ensure believability and follow-up. And acceptance, because, look, (laughs) we live in a world where it's really difficult for people to get listened to in these situations. We listen and then to actually have something done about it. Right. And wrestling's no different, you know, and you can look at other things. You can look at politics, you can look at sport, you can look at whatever you want to look at. But in wrestling, you know, you've only got to turn your TV on and know that WWE is still headed by Vince McMahon, even though there was a public investigation. And if there was no shareholders involved in any of that company, he'd be in complete control still. Right. Absolute no doubt. 
you only need to turn on AEW and see Woo Energy everywhere. Yep. There are executives in other companies with long-standing kind of things said about them. All gets... No one thinks about it. No one talks about it. We've seen things with Matt Riddle in the past. Yep. You know, he didn't get fired for any of that. He got fired for an incident in the airport. Austin Fury, you can name so many people. In wrestling, especially because it's unregulated. And it it relies so much on kind of drawing cards. It's so much harder for something to kind of be addressed in wrestling than it is in other industries. But it's not the only industry. We work from a position below. We're not... It's not an even playing kill. It's not something that will be addressed automatically. And that's where you have to start with this. So... When you do kind of bring anything to the light, you've got to make sure that one, you have full evidence and you're going to present it properly and that you're actually doing something for the value of it. And this is where this fell like really, really quickly apart because none of those things kind of happen. So you have that initial tweet from Nick Houseman, that reply, and then he says that Jericho blocked him. And... He didn't follow that up with really any writing. He summarised tweets and he says, you know, if Jericho does appear on Dynamite, it'll be interesting to see if he makes reference to the new NDA drama he seems to have stirred up. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to have stirred up. Yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? And then what happened after that was... um, (laughs) It's quite impressive. Was he wanted to then raise it on the press call. So he was going to... He was going to um, bring it up on a press call and use that as a thing. He didn't get called upon on the press call. And he tweets, oh, you know, well, we'll try again next time. And then somebody asks him, you know, are you making a trip to Greensboro for revolution? And he's like, nah. And it's quite clear that, you know, he's kind of uh, press pass, that sort of thing, for attending these pay-per-views isn't there now. So his reaction to that, is to interview Stephen Pino on the Friday <laughs> and then to reply to Max's part in the Players' Tribute. So if you've seen the video and you've seen the clip and you wonder what the context is, he's actually replying to what Max uh, MJF wrote in the Players' Tribune where he wrote about Jericho. And his reply was... <laughs> God damn it, I can't even believe I'm going to read this. Um, so, obviously the Jericho part stood out to me. One of the things that's so disconcerting to me is about the universal praise for Jericho. I'm not going to deny the points that Max made about the impact Chris had in the early days of AEW, but when you have that kind of clout and you have that kind of power, it's very important to use that power responsibly. There are issues with Chris behind the scenes where I know a lot of people who have been hurt by Chris and his actions. It's very uncomfortable for me to see him lauded as often as he is with a focus on that because I do think that there is a lot of questionable stories about Chris that will find their way out over time and when people are ready to tell those stories, they will cast him in a very different light. Look, Harvey Weinstein won a lot of Oscars. Harvey Weinstein Weinstein produced a lot of very popular films. Harvey Weinstein is now in jail. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Chris, but the narrative can quickly turn if you are hiding a lot of skeletons in your closet. (laughs) It's just so gross. It's so (sighs) gross. It's so disgusting and gross. And the fact that this emanated out of a pissing contest over Brawl Out makes it even grosser. Like, it's just gross. Like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to carry water for your guy. Stephen P. New is going to be okay if you don't jump in to defend him. 
Okay. Like, like this is just like, you're not involved in this, Nick. Like this has got nothing to do with you. So like, what the, like, uh, uh, anyway, well, I'll, I'll let you, it's so fucking gross. I, I, it's so disgusting. When you look at this, you know, and you can say, and he can say after, and we'll get to it, you know, about opinions or whatever. Now, you're comparing somebody to a rapist. Yeah. And a sex offender. That's what you're comparing them to. Whether you can say his opinion or not, no, 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 you've made that. You're making accusations that the story is going to find their way out and he is the equivalent of a rapist. Yep. That's what you're telling people. And that's how people saw it. And that's why part of the reason we got the reaction we did. You're not providing any evidence. You're not providing any write-up. You don't even have the guts in a lot of the cases of what's written coming up on Hensby's podcast to report it yourself on your own website, which shows kind of how much you've got behind it. You're too busy playing for, you know, dancing puppet for the people that you want to have a role for rather than actually trying to make the world better. And I think personally, my, my personal opinion is I don't think you will. I don't think you will publish anything. And the reason I don't no. think you will is because he's afraid of skeletons in other people's closets. <laughs> it's not about him. It's not about trying to make wrestling better. It's not trying to about improve AEW. It's about well, what happens if there's cutback and something else gets exposed and it hurts people I'm associated with. But I think it's gutless. He's a coward. A gutless coward. And every single thing that happened there. So you say that, that gets out. That gets out on the Friday night. There's a tweet thread made by an account called ISO Wrestling that then says, you know, oh, pure speculation. He's replying to someone that said it might be about Kylie Ray. Okay? That's what the quote says. And then he... <laughs> And then this account says, oh, there's been other history of issues too. And they link two things. So they leave a Facebook post in 2019 of a rumour that was abound in 2019 that said, quote, I have it from people to know that Kylie was asked to go to Chris Jericho's room with the understanding that others would be there. When she got there, it was just him. He made a pass at her. No other details are given and she freaked out. That's quite an open statement. There's not a lot of detail to it. There's not enough to, you know, people want to decide on the word sexual misconduct very, very quickly. But is that sleazy? Is you don't really know. We don't know. We need to, you need detail before you can judge anything. But then she said, then that account says there's history with the accused behaviour, by the way, and brings up a post from the original accuser of David Starr that implied that potential accusations against Chris Jericho. That person then came back and said, actually, I was just speculating. I didn't actually have any evidence or any but then we had you know a love heart was added to that post and underneath that nick houseman replied with a love heart to a post to acknowledging that person so he's now associating what he is saying yep with that person automatically you have made that connection you have brought that extra additional attention and the thing that he said you know that the stories will find a way out when people want to talk how many people are going to talk now if you've done this properly, if you think there's something really there and it's not just hearsay and things that you hear about wrestling, because I can tell you stories about a hundred wrestlers that I've heard. Do I know they're true? No, I wasn't there. I wasn't involved. I didn't have them conversations. I've not had direct conversations with those people. With those potential victims. I do not know for sure. Do we spit them out in public? Do we say them to everything? No, because we don't know for sure. And there are hundreds of them because wrestling is such a political state. 
And this is why you have to be so careful. And if you're just going to speculate and throw things out there, and he literally says, you know, I threw it out there. I didn't know that it was going to be fine that. All right, I'll let you go on our fun. No, this part's important because the the follow-up where, uh, so this happened on Friday. Mm-hmm. Houseman didn't really say anything. And then Houseman rolled back in on Monday with a follow-up podcast, right? Which a bunch of people said, this is a backtrack. And he went berserk telling everybody it wasn't a backtrack to the point where he had wrestle talk, take down a video that said it was a backtrack and was like, I'm going to call your manager. Like, I need a phone number for Russell Talk to get them to take this down. Which, I think if you read the quotes, you know, if he wants to believe this wasn't a backtrack, it certainly places what he said on the first podcast in a whole new light, right? That wasn't there. Oh, so, yeah. So what did he say on that second one? He literally says, okay, he says, clip from our show went somewhat viral shortly after we recorded talking about the Chris Jericho situation. I want to be very clear that my opinions of Chris are my opinions of Chris. I have heard a lot of things over the years. I don't personally like Chris Jericho. I think that is pretty obvious at this point. I think there are a lot of issues there. There are other people that when issues come to the surface, it can take away from the legacy that they created. And that is just a concern that I have for Chris. And that's all I ever meant by them comments. That's a backtrack. He literally said the guy was Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like, you, you're now like, concerned for Chris? Like, give me a fucking Directly break. compared to him to Harvey Weinstein. And yeah. like, listen, I want to make this clear, and I think you uh, you will agree with me on this. Mm-hmm. If there is anything that comes out about Chris Jericho, if there's ever an actual allegation made and someone speaks on the record, then like, you know what? You and I are not supporting this. You and I are not like, oh, Chris nope. Jericho's a good guy. Like, no, oh. that's bullshit. Like, that's bullshit. Sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual harassment in any circumstance and anything is not okay. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. Okay, like non-negotiable. That's where we're at. But what we're talking about here is not a credible allegation. It's not even an allegation. It's a rumor that a guy made because he was mad that his buddy looked bad in an Internet tweet fight. Okay, and then he got his press credentials cut. Yeah. Right. And then he got his press credentials cut. And so we're going to essentially take someone who and again, let's assume for a second that Nick Hausman believes that this is true. Mm-hmm. Right. He has essentially taken a story from someone and repeated it to win Internet points it, with punk versus Jericho. Yep. Like that's like this is why I'm talking about how gross this is. Like yeah. like you said, this is not about making wrestling better. This is not about making a victim's life better. Like this is about winning fucking wrestling points and getting Chris Jericho in a position where no one takes him seriously. So when he brings up what he wants to bring up about Brawl Out, no one will believe him. That's what that's what Hausman is doing. Okay. That is completely separate from any legitimate allegations that may come up, which because they haven't so far. Like, that's like that's just fucking gross, okay? It's just gross. So he goes on and he says, you know, that then elicited a thread, that clip, where other people were starting to allude to a previous allegations against Chris, sexual misconduct elevations, some of them involving, I hate to say it, I hate to say this because I have not personally mentioned her and I would like everyone to respect her privacy, it's really so beyond at this point. And his co-host actually interrupts and shuts him down from saying the name. We'll come back to that in a second. So he says there that there was sexual misconduct allegations then listed against him. I haven't seen one. I'm still to see one. Like, why are we using the word when actually we're still not yet to see anything? We're not seeing... We aren't seeing allegations. We're seeing rumours. The only allegations, Nick, were made as in you've got people to sign NDAs, which you said you heard about. Not I have evidence of, not 
you know, I have, you know, I have things I want to report and to publish. I heard. It's not good enough. This lets everyone down. People don't come forward. People don't prove anything. All it does is reinforce the way things are now. It's fucking just... This is so frustrating. And the reason, you know, it gets to me was... I've seen enough of this. I've seen enough of this in British wrestling. I have been in a place where I have seen things and I have been concerned, but I can't prove it and I don't know. Right. And it eats you alive. In fact, we do far less involved in British wrestling now, especially my husband who was far more involved than I was at one point. And we just focus on kind of smaller things with especially the world of sport, reunions and stuff. But we do not do the other stuff. And one of the reasons is, is knowing something's kind of happening in front of your face or feeling uneasy, but not being able to prove anything. And when yep. it does come up, not seeing it dealt with. Not seeing these things change. Not seeing these people removed from the industry or finding their way back after six months. And it's because of shit like this. Because you just want to use it as a point scoring mechanism. And then it's treated like a joke. When you're retweeting kind of makeup, uh, pretend kind of statements from Tony Khan or from Jungle Boy or from whatever or jokes about it. It's not a fucking joke. This is an industry where women struggle to start with. Or women fans even can't go to shows without being kind of looked at in a certain way or trying to explain, you know, they're trying to, you know, use their sexuality or they don't know anything. We're all prejudged. You know, when we started doing this, we looked at it and we said, everything, the name, the logo, everything needs to be competent so we're taken seriously. If we were male, yeah. would we have that discussion? No. Holy fuck. We would not be having that discussion. We start from a lower ground. And all Always. you're doing is reinforcing that. And then when you say, this makes me so mad. But then he says, I know there's been a lot of people who are upset with my NDA tweet and how it came about. I just want to let everybody know that it wasn't some just some jab I was looking to take at Jericho. I knew full well that it was probably going to hit in some way. I didn't know it would hit nearly as hard as we've seen it hit. What? So that's like, oh, I just heard something and I thought, I'm going to throw it out there and maybe we'll catch something. That's why you do this. And he's just like, I'm just tired of watching Chris bully people around being abrasive, especially publicly like that. I didn't appreciate some of the things he said about East Steel's wife, Lucy, and some of his tweets. I was just tired of it. He didn't say it. shit about East Steel's wife, Lucy. No. He didn't say shit about her. All he said, he said was that he saw how she behaved and he saw how her husband behaved. Yeah. That's what he said. Like, And so again, we have a situation where apparently this is information that Nick Houseman has had for a while and has known about for a while. And when has he chosen to share it? He's chosen to share it because he's mad about something Chris Jericho said. Not because he wants to make somebody else's life better. Not because he wants to right wrongs. Because he wants to win points in an internet argument. Like, this is, this, again, I'm going to come back to it. It's fucking disgusting. Like, it's gross behavior. There's no defending it. Like, it's gross. It's See, gross. About a minute or so later, he talks about the chants that were happening in there. And he basically says, after saying, I never mentioned a name, he, he literally mentions the name. So... The whole thing that he's never mentioned to her, he said her on the podcast. He directed it to her. Right. You know, his other things were direct and it were interesting. Was after the press conference. So you can judge the press conference either way. You can look at it and it's very difficult. I think I think Dave made a very good point in the Observer this week that when there was a similar situation in terms of the actual allegations against Patrick Clark, the former Velveteen Dream, Triple H was very very much on the offensive in the press yep. conference where he was dressed like that. And people look at it differently. You know, they look at Tony differently to Triple H. They give him different kind of reaction. There is, in that regard, Tony is right that they get more focus on it. 
He didn't help himself. You know, he had the stupid no. hat and glasses on the first question he had. Horrendous look. I woke up to him and went, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you see all the head of PR there. Adam Hopkins come and take the hat and glasses away. Right. Now, the thing about it was, was they were asking questions about something that we... They have no allegation. They have nothing set in stone. They were asking about rumours. And what can Tony really say? You know, they... And I think the... The clever question in a way was, and we'll talk about Phil Stroman in a minute in terms of something he said midweek that was very, very effective, was, you know, he said, has there been any investigation to any type of misconduct? He asked him a very direct question and that put Tony in a harder place. And we've, we have seen it with Tony hundreds of times. He will not answer anything. He'll give a right. non-answer. Right. But that won't help Jericho in this aspect. No. Um, but it's difficult. Like, what is there that he can do? But what happened during that was Houseman actually tweeted. Uh, hypothetically, if you have a problem at work with your boss's best friend, who was also your co-worker, would you go to your boss to complain? <laughs> so not only is he saying that Khan might not have been aware of this situation, which is unusual because this was quite a well-discussed rumour as well as some other things uh, during that time period. But you're saying you know the story. You're still saying, I know what happened here. Well, fucking report it, you gutless coward. Put it out there so everyone can judge, so things can be followed up on, so that there can be an investigation if necessary. Well, he's also goading people to ask Tony Khan about a question about a situation that he's following up by saying Tony Khan didn't know about. Yeah, like it, it, this whole thing. It it, and again, I, I I you know you and I want to stress if there's an allegation and needs yep. to get taken care of, like fucking look into it, like take it seriously. Like you and I are not here to defend sex abusers in any way, nah. right? But at this point, there's nothing. And, like, you know, people have decided, well, I don't like Chris Jericho. Like, uh, you know, he's a cloud chaser. He's weird. Like, he just is this dad rocker. You know, his wife was a, you know, he donates to, to conservative causes. His wife was a January 6th. I don't like him. This seems about right. So, yeah, this sounds right. I, I'm going with this. Like, that's also kind of gross. Like, you kind of, I don't know. Like, if that's the, like, like, like. You're going to just assume someone did something like this? You want to believe someone would do something like this? Like, I get wrestling is, like, a gross business, but, like, yikes. I, I don't know. Like, I, the whole thing is just you know, such a mess. And the, so... What's worse is the last bit of that thing that he said that day. And there's a couple other things that just bemused me that I read this week. But he's talking about Tony's statement, and he says, you know... My heart breaks when I think about all the women in that company that have fathers and brothers. If your daughter, sister, wife, or mother is going to work the next day after watching Tony Khan's response, do you feel great? I wouldn't. Fuck don't. that shit. Yeah. Fuck One. that shit. You don't speak for fucking anyone. Too much, all we hear about is men talking on the same... You take that autonomy away. You took that away when you wouldn't actually collect that information properly and report it like an actual fucking journalist, because none of you are. There's no. probably two or three journalists in this company. In this, you know, in this industry. Business, yeah. That's it. You're not one of them. You're just a fucking gossip monger who's a mouthpiece for a wrestler. That's it. Right. But you do this and you start saying, oh, you know, I feel so... You didn't give a fuck about any woman involved in potentially no. any story. None of and that. And the reason I wanted to read so much of this stuff and I wanted to go through and I, we could go through... There's tons of reports, there's tons of things. He won't report or write about anything or report anything that he said as news. So he right. doesn't want to put his name to anything legally. He's a coward. 
in that regard. Right. But it's not That's about, the other thing to stress I'm on so... this. This man has a fuck... He has a fucking website. He could have published this as a news article on his website yeah. at any time and has not done so since it happened. But then it's like, no, I want to speak... Oh, I feel so bad about women. I know. We don't need that archaic bullshit. People can speak for themselves and they're ready. And yes, if there are allegations, we will deal with that and we will look at that separately. But at the moment, there's nothing. What there is is rumour and stupidity and point scoring and using such a serious thing as sexual misconduct in a proxy war. And this is so frustrating. It's driven me absolutely insane to read all this. It's driven to watch it, to see it treated like a joke by the person that's illustrating this, and then to read again and again that people must do this, people must do that. At the moment, there's nothing to respond to. Nothing. There's nothing. And all we're doing is just, you know, and there's people saying, oh, well, he tweeted some, you know, he, he went in someone's DMs and sent them a message, a basic message. And that's now like harassment. Like, we're losing our minds. And it's all been encouraged by something, but not wanting to make wrestling better, not wanting to make it better, not wanting to make it no. more welcome and the fact that we can all kind of exist in this ecosystem. No, it's just out of pity. And I just nothing can't help it. <laughs> no, nothing is as big of a red flag. I don't want to say nothing, but a man who says, oh, you should care about this because of your daughters or your wives or your you know women you're related to is so, I don't, I'm not nice to people because they remind me of relatives I have. I'm not valued because of my relationship to a man. Right, like the whether I have a father or a husband or whatever is irrelevant to whether or not you should treat me well. You should treat me well because I am a human being worthy of respect, not because I'm possibly related to a fucking dude. Like yeah. that is one of the most, like, like give me like, and again, the, the whole thing is like I said, disgusting. But that's got to be right up there in terms of like, whoa, uh, uh, like fuck you, Nick. Like you don't give a shit yeah. about a woman in this. Like I don't want to hear it. Right? Like. Come on, because if you did, you would have done this very, very differently. This is about scoring internet points for Chris Jericho so he knows to keep his mouth shut the next time there's a problem with CM Punk related stuff, right? And and success. Congratulations, Nick, right? Like Nick, like Chris Jericho's getting booed like crazy now. And everybody's like, he needs to take a break. He shouldn't be on TV. They should have taken him off the pay-per-view. Like, okay. I great job. Great job. It, it feels it's gross. It is. It feels weird to finish kind of with the words of male journalists, but, you know, I mentioned Phil Strom earlier of USA Today Sport who asked a question that was the most direct to Tony Khan. And he was on Post Wrestling on uh, Wednesday. And he said a couple of things that kind of, kind of set, like, yeah, where we are. And he said, you know, it's kind of incumbent them folks doing wrestling journalism in 2024 to follow up on this the best as they can. All right, we know that's not going to happen, but he's right. And I think that the people reporting on this need to be careful who they are getting their information from and is that source someone who will have first-hand knowledge of whether something happened or not because what you don't want to happen is, you know, wrestling wrestlers and people in wrestling talk all the time. What you don't want is somebody who has a spe specific axe to grind, whether it's in the media or in the locker room or something like that. Wrestling is very competitive like that. Also, you want to make sure your sourcing is solid even if it means talking to two, three, four people about the same thing to make sure you've got it right. Just get it right, because if you have it first and you're wrong, you're not first. Get it right. If you're going to say something, 
report it. If not, just shut the fuck up. Right, well, <laughs> it was darker than that. It's a way for us to kick off the new year, guys. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> They're important things. I'm not willing to ignore them and I'm not willing to kind of wipe them on the carpet or talking kind of really kind of... I've seen people talk in really careless terms who you know aren't going through what's actually been said, who are just kind of going, oh, this, this happened or this happened. We don't know. So, you know, just be a little more careful and a little bit more respectful. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I was just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really... I'm kind of exhausted by that, to be honest. And, yeah. And I don't really have anything else to add. So I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap for today. Um, so this has been the Trish and Sarah podcast, now on the Social Suplex Network. Uh, big thank you to our producer, Leah from Tunnel Talk, who is back with us today for all that you do. Well, you can find us at, at Trish and Sarah on Twitter, at Trish and Sarah on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube and now on the social, social suplex YouTube for clips as well. Uh, or you can email us at, at Trish and Sarah at gmail.com for any feedback, any questions, or if you just want to talk about wrestling. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. We are back on our regular schedule programming to discuss any further news in the wrestling round. For now, I've been Trish. I've been Sarah. And we will see you in a fortnight. <laughs>